we can say, you know what, we love you. There is healing and forgiveness to be found in Christ even after an abortion. But we need to be honest with ourselves that it's the taking of an innocent human life. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. I hope you are having a a great day and week and month. Uh, It's finally kind of turning uh, fall-like around here in the uh, Georgia and Alabama area after uh, uh, an extended summer, as we usually have around here. You know, on this podcast, Run the Race, which we hope you subscribe to and tell your friends about, uh, we talk about fitness and faith on a regular basis, and we have a lot of fun and and have, you know, hear some extraordinary stories from folks on a a pretty much weekly basis. Um, But today we're getting, uh, you know, more serious than usual, perhaps, uh, dealing with uh, the very controversial issue. In fact, this is an issue that's that's genuinely a matter of life and death. We're talking about abortion. Uh, it's it's an issue that uh, you know it, it can be very polarizing. Uh, people are very passionate uh, on each side of this issue, uh, whether you're a Christian or not, and and uh, so it's it's uh, people are divided inside the church when it comes to abortion. In fact, a one in three women in America are said to have will have an abortion in their lifetime. You know, it's thirty percent, and according to the Gutmaker Institute, seventeen percent of abortion patients in twenty fourteen identified themselves as mainline Protestant, 13% were evangelical Protestant, and about a quarter of them identified as Catholic. Uh, so uh, this is happening you know, within the church, whether you believe in it uh, or not. And uh, we have a uh, you know, very important guest that I recently met uh, at the Sound Choices Pregnancy Clinic, a Life Worth Keeping Gala in Columbus, Georgia. Her name is Melissa Oden. She's a, a national advocate uh, when it comes to uh, pro-life and uh, and you know it has contributed to a lot of conservative news outlets and a regular guest on radio and TV programs around the world, uh, including Fox News and Focus on the Family. And uh, she's testified before congressional committees and numerous times, as well as lobbied. And so uh, and she's also a survivor of a failed abortion. She's an abortion survivor. And you, you may not know there's there's so many of those, you know, people out there that have survived abortions, people wanting to end their lives before it even started in terms of them, you know, coming out of the womb. And so we're going to hear her amazing story. Uh, but I wanted to give you an update because I know that she's in the thick of, you know, lobbying and, and making sure, uh, trying to figure out a way to, to, to overturn Roe versus Wade. Uh, it's been around for decades now that you know well. Uh, right now, in terms of an update on abortion issues around the country, Texas is really at the center of this. Uh, this week, the U.S. Supreme Court signaling they will have a, a quick resolution to some challenges from the Biden administration to this landmark uh, Texas abortion law, uh, which essentially bans abortions once medical professionals can detect cardiac activity. So uh, this Texas law really prohibits abortions at around six weeks. And some people, some women may not know they're pregnant at that time. So the DOJ, the Department of Justice under President Biden, is asking the court the U.S. Supreme Court to block this law. Uh, Texas officials, um, you know, are, are hoping for a response uh, from the DOJ by midday Thursday, which you uh, may be listening to this podcast before or after that, and have an update. But pro-life activists have really celebrated uh, that most abortion facilities have stopped operation uh, since this law, at least in Texas, has taken effect. So we'll we'll see what happens next. But as for our uh, our guest for this week, Melissa Oden. 
As I mentioned to you, uh, she is the survivor of a failed saline infusion abortion. She'll explain what that means in terms of uh, her uh, sitting for days in this uh, toxic mix uh, inside her mom's womb. So this was an attempt to end her life at approximately seven months gestation. Uh, she is a master's level prepared social worker. She also uh, has at least one book so far. She authored You Carried Me, A Daughter's Memoir. Uh, her second book is uh, really focused on other abortion survivors, uh, helping them break their silence. That coming out soon. And she is the founder and director of the Abortion Survivors Network. Now, this is the really in in the nation, the only healing and advocacy organization for abortion survivors. And uh, so she's, you know, really a voice for the voiceless. And uh, she has a Facebook page that I've looked through. It's called, uh, you know, Melissa Odin, Survivor, Author, Activist, for life. She's back has a video on there interviewing her birth mom Ruth. That's right. She has a relationship now, you know, um 40 something years later with her birth mom Ruth who wanted to give her up uh and and have an abortion. And um one thing that struck me that that Melissa a quote she had on there on social media. She says, "Every human being is more than a choice. So no matter what you believe about abortion or not, we hope I hope you have an open ear for uh, this conversation uh, that uh, you know really is in a fascinating story about what happened to her and what she's doing now about it. So here is my conversation with Melissa Oden. I'd like to welcome uh, Melissa Oden to the podcast. Uh, we met uh, just a few weeks ago at the uh, Sound Choices Pregnancy Clinics a Gala, A Life Worth Keeping. She was the keynote speaker. Uh, thanks so much, uh, Melissa, for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. And uh, I know you you said you, you lost your voice a little bit, but you still you sound great. So uh, yeah, I'm glad that you're kind of getting over your cold now. So. Maybe you gave me a cold when I was in <laughs> Was it you? Uh, I, maybe. I don't know. Maybe your kids. Uh, hopefully not me. So, um, But uh, first of all, you know, um, I, I did the introduction earlier in the podcast, but uh, you're a survivor of a failed saline infusion abortion, uh, which obviously, you know, was, was decades ago. But uh, it's something that has, you know, is uh, your, part of your identity in life. And so I want uh, you for our listeners to kind of tell your story about, about what happened to you and um, how it has really shaped your life. Yeah, it's a tough thing to talk about because, you know, we live in a culture that would say that people like me don't exist and failed abortions don't happen. But I can tell you that there are hundreds, if not thousands, if not really tens of thousands of people like me in the world. And so, you know, aging myself very quickly, I'm 44, uh, which, you know, is just important from the context of talking about abortion. So we know abortion was legalized um, almost 49 years ago in 1973. And, you know, here it was then four years after that, that my birth mother as a college student was forced to have this saline infusion abortion. And like so many women, um, it was my birth mother's family who was responsible for forcing that abortion on her. Uh, she had family members that offered to let her live with them. You know, my, my birth parents were engaged. They would have married and parented me if they had been given that quote unquote choice but they weren't given any other choice. She was forced into a hospital and this salt, toxic salt solution was delivered 
uh, into her belly, which then led into the amniotic fluid surrounding me in the womb. And I soaked in this toxic salt solution for five days. Mm. It should have poisoned and scalded me to death. Uh, but when they finally induced Ruth's labor, that's my birth mother, um, they learned that the abortion had not succeeded in ending my life. Oh, and this was at um, seven months gestation, right? And um, so what, what, what was the experience like? I mean, obviously, you, you, may, you don't remember that those moments necessarily, but you are, are told about what happened from what the nurses or from, from um, people that were there, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so my adoptive parents knew when they adopted me that I had survived a failed abortion. Uh, You know, they were given every poor prognosis that my life was going to look like. And, you know, I overcame obstacles very early in my life. And so they kept it a secret like most parents do. And I found out accidentally when I was 14. And, you know, since that time, really, God has allowed people to, to speak into my life who were there when it happened. So a nurse from the NICU, another nurse who held me at another hospital that I was cared for, you know, people who had prayed outside of that hospital uh, that a life would be spared from an abortion. And, you know, those people now are a part of my story. This is our story. And is it something that for you, you know, I mean, you, obviously you go around the country, you came to Columbus, Georgia, and go really all over the nation to, to tell your story. And uh, what's the reaction from folks? Are they surprised by maybe, you know, um, the, you know how often this happens or surprised that, 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 you know, that there are so many survivors out there? Yeah, absolutely. I Even people who have been in the pro-life movement or maybe who have worked in pregnancy centers for a long time, you know, are are usually aware that, yes, children can survive abortions. It does happen. We see it statistically reported out from time to time. You know, we see it legislatively in discussions about born alive bills. But I don't know that anybody has ever really sat back and thought, gee, I wonder what happens to those babies after they survive an abortion? (laughs) What is their life like? Do they find out? Are they raised by their biological parents? You know, people kind of usually focus on, I don't want it to sound terrible when I say surface issues, but they they think about things like, oh, gee, are they missing a limb? Were they scalded? They aren't thinking, you know, what has their life been like after that? Are there emotional, mental, spiritual scars that people face? And who else is going to ask those questions except for survivors like us? Yeah. And you were talking about the spiritual side of things. So, you know, um, for you, you know, obviously, you know, abortion is a very uh, divisive, controversial issue um, in today's world and, and has been for, for decades. Um, and sometimes people draw the line based on their religious beliefs. And, and some people say, well, can you be a Christian and, and believe and be you know, pro-choice and, and believe in abortion? So where do you fall on that in terms of how, you know, um, spiritual faith relates to this issue of abortion that, that you're so, you know, um, you know, your life is centered around. It's really um, heartbreaking for me that the church has not taken a bolder stand when it comes to abortion, to be perfectly honest. Uh, when we know statistically that the women sitting in our church pews, they're in our congregations, these are women who are having abortions. 
And so I think it should cause all of us to look at our own church and at our families and say, uh, what are we doing here, folks? You know, what are the words that we're speaking? What are the actions that we're taking? Uh, this is not a political issue. This is a heart issue. And God spared my life. I mean, I am forever grateful for that. But every single one of us are made in the image and likeness of God. And so what should we be doing to prevent the shed of innocent life that's been happening now for 48 years and the devastation that is happening in women's lives and men's and families, we have a real problem even within the church. Yeah. And, and some people, you know, in the church, um, whether it be leaders or members of the congregation, sometimes will say, well, you know, as women, you know, um, it's, it's your body, your choice. That's kind of the argument on the side of, of pro-choice. And so, you know, what would you say to folks in terms of like, what would be your argument on the other side of that? Uh, saying, listen, it's, it's my choice to do this. I, I shouldn't be told what to do with my life and my body. My secular response to that could, that could also fit the church would just simply be, you know, so as woman, I now have the right to have an abortion in our country, but I didn't have the simple right to be born in the first place. I mean, no offense, but that's pretty absurd when you actually state the argument that way. That makes no sense. There is no other set of circumstances that we would apply that kind of logic to in our world. Uh, and I think we have to somehow rectify that uh, in our country. If we're going to talk about women's rights, then we need to have an intellectually honest conversation to say, well, we're talking about some women's rights. All right. The women who are already born and the women who aren't subjected to an abortion procedure. Um, nobody has ever been that honest with me. You know, even when I've testified before Congress, they just kind of, you know, give you that pat on the head <laughs> to say, oh, I'm so sorry that that happened to you, but I'm still, I'm still pro-choice. So we're just going to move on. Nobody wants to talk about it. Yeah. And like you and I talked about when we, you know, met uh, here in the Columbus, Georgia area, you know, the fact that if you're not born, you don't ever get that opportunity to have the rights to do what, what you want, right? In, in, in America. Yeah. Where, where does bodily autonomy begin? You know, we I've testified before Congress and had uh, abortion supporting uh, witnesses there. And I say abortion supporting because it was it was about abortion. It wasn't about them supporting choice. They were adamant that they were supporting abortion. And so they were, you know, testifying and saying, you know, I have the right to bodily autonomy. And there was this really kind of epic um, showdown in 2019 with Representative Louis Gohmert. And uh, a Hollywood actress, Busy Phillips, who had been brought in to testify, and she was talking about her bodily autonomy. And he was saying, "Okay, then uh, let's talk about when did Melissa Odin's right to bodily autonomy begin?" And folks can go back and watch the video. It is it is painful to watch because she couldn't come up with the answer, and he ended up finally just saying, "You know what?" you can't answer the question. And so we know what the answer is and we're moving on. Yeah. And, uh, you know, with you, you know, getting the opportunity to testify in front of congressional committees and, and share your story around, do you feel like that this is 
I don't know if I would say a responsibility, but do you feel like that God is using you and what happened to you, you know, 40 something years ago to um, maybe, you know, shed some light? And because, you know, they can't escape that you have this this story as you know, so do so many others as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if it wasn't for God, I wouldn't be alive. And if it wasn't for God, I wouldn't do this. You know, I, I have a I have a master's degree in social work. I led a pretty safe, comfortable life. I I had a plan on what I wanted my life to look like. And, you know, I'm grateful that God kind of took those plans and, and uh, expanded them in ways I never could have seen coming. But yeah, there are some days that are so hard, Jason, where I think, you know what, I, I, I wish I could walk away from this. You know, it sounds, you know, that's a terrible thing for me to say, but there are days that are so hard. And I think, I I sometimes wish I was doing something else, but you know what? I never would because that's not what I was called to. God needs me to do what I'm doing. And so how could I not? Yeah. And a lot of people may be curious, you know, they, they heard about, you know, kind of what happened uh, to you, you know, uh, being born and and surviving that that toxic solution for, for several days in the womb. Um, So tell me about, you know, um, I think you talked a little bit at, at the, the gala we were at about, you know, the transformational power of forgiveness and uh, just God's love and healing. And But, you know, uh, tell us about your um, kind of reconnecting with your biological family, because I'm sure, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, maybe you can speak to this. There may have been a lot of hurt there about, listen, my mom wanted to give me up, not just through adoption, but through abortion. And, um, and they may have been a lot of, you know, hurt as you got older and kind of discovered this. So tell me about how you felt and, and how it led you to your, your, your real mom. Yeah. And it's so, I think it's such a timely conversation to have because, you know, Shelly Lynn Thornton, I don't know if you've been following this in the news, but she was Norma McCorby. So Jane Rowe of Roe versus Wade, her biological daughter has done an interview for the first time and has been talking about her experience and really how painful it was to find out that she was that baby that set into motion legalized abortion. And there's pain in that for her, but there's also pain in knowing that her biological mother was seeking an abortion for her. And so that pain is very, very real for people who were targeted for abortion like she was um, and people like me who, yes, the abortion was actually performed and just was not successful. So yeah, there is a, a lot of pain and, you know, to find out as a teenager, I had to work through anger and resentment and shame and embarrassment and guilt for surviving. And, you know, as I shared that night in Columbus, You know, I was raised in a home that was really founded upon mercy and love. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really understand how important that was until I found out the story of my survival. And so even though it was very, um, you know, just as deep as it can be at the age of 14 um, to offer up forgiveness for my biological parents, it was still very, very healing um, to do it in that kind of rudimentary 14-year-old way of, you know, I know the truth about what you did, and I'm not going to hold that against you. You are a part of me. I am a part of you. And Christ died 
for you and my abortionist as much as he died for me. And so that was a really big step in my healing journey. I was in a huge amount of pain and suffering until I really forgave them that first time. And that set me free enough to then start making better choices in my life and not, you know, not think that God made a mistake with me and not feel so ashamed to be who I was. And so that then set me out on the journey to look for my biological parents. Well, so tell us about what happened because I know that you, you have a relationship with some of your biological family now to this day. Yeah. So I'm one of those abortion survivors that was placed for adoption and um, ultimately went looking for them. So looked for my birth parents for about 10 years um, from about the age of 19 to almost 30 Mm -hmm. and um, obtained my medical records during that time period that talk about the abortion that I survived and actually found out my birth parents' names through those medical records. Uh, Sadly, my birth father passed away before I could ever have any kind of relationship with him, but I did send him a letter and, you know, I hope that brought him some peace in his life before he passed away. Um, My path to my birth mother took a little bit longer Uh, I couldn't find her through my searching. So I did have some letters exchanged with her parents who I now know were responsible for the abortion. But um, my communication with my birth mother, Ruth, really started to unfold in about 2013. And so now she's a huge part of my life. I did not know until 2013 that the abortion was forced on her that her family was responsible for it and that she didn't know for over 30 years of her life that I had actually survived. She was told that the abortion was successful. Wow. So what was that moment like for, for her and for you when you maybe, whether it be talking on the phone or meeting in person for the first time, I imagine such an emotional thing because there's like maybe the sense of guilt on her side and and shame and, and uh, but just, a feeling of just, I mean, uh, I, you know, like nothing else, I'm sure. Yeah, she she really struggled to accept that I love her and, and I have forgiven her. And, you know, faith is very much a part of her story now, too. I think like so many women in her position, you know, she kind of straight out of the gate said to me, you know, Alyssa, I know that, that you are this um, person of faith, but that's not me. And, you know, if there is a God, where was he when I needed him? Mm. And I thought, man, that makes so much sense. And so, you know, along that journey, I would just kind of impart little pieces of wisdom with her to encourage her faith and say, you know what, I understand that you feel that way, but God has always been by your side. And this is why we're together today, because God is involved in the details of our lives. And so, I think for me, Jason, that's been one of the coolest parts of our journey together is now she, she talks about God and she talks about how she knows how much he has loved her all along. And so, you know, for me, um, I think that's the most important thing I ever could have done in my life. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, um, we, we talk a lot about, you know, God's love and, and healing and the transformation when that, you know, like forgiveness, like you were talking about. And, but, but in the midst of all this, you know, you've got this issue that, that you talk about a lot, abortion, which can be very, you know, it's, it's a lot of people angry on both sides, very passionate on both sides. So how, 
you know, maybe do Christians or even non-Christians, how do we um, talk about this issue without getting maybe so worked up about it? Because, you know, choosing your battles, like you, do you, do you kind of put up the dukes and fight when it comes to this issue or is it, is it, can you do it in love? I think you can do it in love. You know, I think everybody, everybody's called to a slightly different corner. Um, there are some people who are pretty public, you know, publicly known for, for their fight. And yes, I am known for my fighting spirit, but I hope that people always walk away from conversations with me saying, wow, she was also just really insightful and respectful and kind and loving. I'm not one who resorts to name calling. Um, man, I take a lot of shots in the chin. You know, I really do even testify before Congress. I, I am always the first person to be respectful in response to even other people who are testifying and have very different opinions than me. People can see that on video where I've gone down the line and said, uh, you know, and I'm sorry to hear that you've gone through what you have. Um, I think there's a way that we can acknowledge people's humanity and their suffering and still make our points known. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, in the midst of, you know, the traveling and speaking and a congressional testimony and being the founder and director of the Abortion Survivors Network. Well, first of all, before I get to your kind of juggling all these things, tell me about the Abortion Survivors Network, because um, so what do you guys exactly do? I mean, are you looking for abortion survivors and and trying to provide um, support for I mean, I'm sure there's hundreds and thousands out there. Yeah, and that's exactly what we do. So the Abortion Survivors Network is a nonprofit that seeks to heal abortion survivors. And we also help heal families uh, because families are affected by abortion and even, yes, failed abortions. Um, this isn't something where you just get to walk away from it and go, yeah, you know what, we're good. Um, it takes healing and it takes people coming alongside you and helping you um, work through memories and suffering and all of those things. Um, so we provide healing support. We provide um, skill development and education to survivors about, you know, how do you advocate? How do you share your story? Um, how do you get involved in pro-life ministry and whatever it is you feel called to? We don't ever make anyone share their story. We don't share people's stories unless they want it to be shared. We're very protective of survivors and families, but we also want to provide them opportunities to have a voice if they are healed and empowered and equipped to do so. Uh, we offer an annual retreat where survivors can come face-to-face -face with other survivors. There's healing to be found in the midst of that. Uh, we get together as a community of survivors on at least a monthly basis. So we have survivors from around the world who come together. We have a private group on Facebook where people get together. Um, there are so many things that we do, and we really help equip families also about how to tell their survivor their story, when to tell it, um, what to tell them, and just be there to support them on that journey, because this is kind of a lifetime process that people go through. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and part of the process for you is, you know, juggling all these things that you've got to do, you know, and, and I know your you know, most important job uh, right now is probably, you know, wife and mom. Um, and so, you know, what's that like for you, you know, being obviously what you've gone through and not having the traditional, you know, maybe upbringing of, of being born and, and you're, you're the mom that, that gave birth to you, raising you. Um, now you have the opportunity to do that. 
um, being the mom. So is that something that you, I'm sure don't take for granted? Yeah, no, my, my kids are my number one. I, I said in a post uh, last week, you know, being pro-life also means I'm, you know, I'm pro-love and I'm pro-family and that includes my own family. And, um, you know, I was sharing with you since I last saw you, my seven-year-old fell off the monkey bars last week and broke two bones in her arm. And so that meant mom canceled every meeting humanly possible. I canceled a trip that I was supposed to fly out to the next day. I shifted a flight later in the week and I was supposed to then go on and speak before the Supreme Court for some rallies. Yes, that was important, but guess what? I didn't do it. I came back home to make sure that I was here with a little girl who is, you know, now trying to figure out how to be independent with a plaster cast pretty much up to her shoulder. So yeah. uh, I know that God calls me to serve people in this world and serve him, but I'm also called to serve my family well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's a good lesson learned because I mean that that come family comes first and and uh, so important. And that's and you're modeling that for your kids and and uh, you know kind of uh, co-parenting obviously with with your husband. And you you I wrote a book speaking of of, of motherhood called uh, "You Carried Me: A Daughter's Memoir." I know you have a, a new book I believe coming out as well soon. So tell me about that. That that, that was your was that your first book? Yeah. So you carried me a daughter's memoir it is my uh, my story. And uh, it was reprinted in 2020 with some additional uh, commentary by my birth mother, Ruth. She was included a little bit in the first book, um, but a lot transpired in our lives between the first publication and the second. Um, And uh, I've just been uh, really blessed by how that book has impacted people. It's a very transparent, um, painfully transparent version of my life story, but you know what, God and I had a lot of conversations about that all along the way that said, you know what, this is about what the world needs to see. And so um, that that's meaningful to me that it impacts people in a, in every good way. So when do you find time to write these books when you've got to you know, take <laughs> care of a, an injured seven-year-old? And <laughs> I guess it's just part of the job, right? It is part of the job. Didn't I, did I tell you that I don't really have any hobbies at this point in my life? (laughs) Um, That sounds terrible, but I mean, it's sort of true. Uh, But I do love to write. I mean, that is, that's part of my background as I was a writer anyway, before I, I knew what God's calling really was for me. And, um, you know, I joke to you, I do run from time to time. Right. Uh, I don't run as much now as what I used to, but maybe after I get the second book nailed down, I'll start running again. Okay. You run, you run at the airport, maybe to, <laughs> to, to get to your, uh, to your second flight to yeah. DC or something like that. So, well, that's good. That's good. Um, and then you've got this, um, this second book, you're speaking of that, uh, that's, uh, it's supposed to be published. Is it being published this year? Tell me the, give me an update on that. Yeah, it'll come out in the spring of 2022, okay. and I don't know that the publisher has, has came out and said yet who they are, but I can tell you that they're a, a well-known Christian publisher that we all know and love, and I am deeply honored to be working with, and uh, I'm actually working with a best-selling author on it who has written other um, best-selling books, because it's so important to me that the world sees and hears the stories of other abortion survivors. And I know that that is really just part of the calling that God has put on my life is it's not just my story. It's the story of other survivors. 
And um, to me, that's so important that I, I do this work and share their stories with the world. Yeah. And in terms of, you know, um, yeah, the, the moms who gave up their kids, because we talk a lot about, you know, the abortion survivors and you work with those and you obviously have your story with Ruth and, you know, made that connection and kind of there was, there's a happy ending there for, for you two uh, in terms of you have this relationship now, um, you know, despite what happened, you know, four decades ago. So, you know, what about the, those moms who gave up their kids and, and, uh, because that, you know, Sound Choices Pregnancy Clinic, that who the, the event was for that we were at, you know, they help those moms make those decisions. And, and some of them make the decision to still have the abortion. And then there's repercussions for them emotionally and physically after that, or they choose maybe to not have the abortion. So um, how, how do we reconcile? How do these moms kind of go on, whether they go through with it or not? Yeah, I think it's tough because um, we live in a world that wants to say that abortion is a choice and a right, but at the same time, that doesn't want to acknowledge the voices of those that are hurt by that quote unquote choice, right? So the predominant narrative is abortion is a choice and a right, and that's where it stands. Uh, And we live in a world that somehow wants to then communicate that women are bad mothers if they place a child for adoption. Uh, Mm -hmm. I know that that is a narrative that I hear, and I've heard it even within church circles. You know, people will say, well, how could a woman ever give up her baby? In the face of ending the life of a child, as opposed to placing that child in a home for adoption, uh, that that is a gift. That is a courageous, selfless decision that a woman can make. And I think we need to do better in our culture to prop up women to not only talk about adoption, but also to provide them support in the face of it. And not just in the short term as they're making an adoption plan, but in the long term to support them over the course of their life. Because those women do not forget their children after they've placed them for adoption. You know, some of my um, best friends run Um, Abiding Love Adoptions, actually based out of Georgia. They're licensed in Georgia and Florida and a couple of other states. And what they do is they come alongside and they serve birth mothers and they serve them well. Uh, And they're all about making sure those women are supported throughout their lives. And I think we need to turn that corner in our culture. Yeah. And, you know, and and speaking of the culture, obviously, you know, at least, you know, here in the Bible Belt in Georgia, you know, there's a church on, you know, every street, almost every corner. Um, And you were talking earlier about how the church really kind of, you know, there's disappointment sometimes they're not bold and and take a stand on issues like this. Um, Do you think it's it's um, it can be scary for churches, I guess, because if they step into a realm of what's considered a quote unquote political issue or controversial issue or something having to do with like who's elected, you know, here or there, um, that they may, you know, people, it may turn people off. So do you think it's, it's better to kind of really kind of be bold and take that stand and, and then whatever happens, you know, um, you know, roll the dice that way. Yeah. I mean, you know, people don't go into this willy nilly. I don't think, Um, you know, I mean, yeah, there might be some pastors out there who are like, I'm just going to shoot for the, from the hip, whatever. But you know what? I know the amount of prayer and thoughtfulness that goes into sermons. And so, you know, I would ask for pastors to put in that same amount of thought and prayer over how to talk about abortion, because, 
you know, not talking about it isn't going to prevent it from happening. You know, like we don't get to just go, yeah, maybe if we don't talk about it, that's not how this works. So, you know, we need to talk about it because if it's not going to be the church, then who is it going to be at this point? You know, can we trust our greater culture uh, to be having this kind of conversation in, in a very honest and loving way with people? We can't. And so we have to be willing to do that ourselves. And, you know, I think there are ways every single week that we can say, you know what, we love you. There is healing and forgiveness to be found in Christ even after an abortion. But we need to be honest with ourselves that it's the taking of an innocent human life. And if it's been you in the past, we want to come alongside you and support you and help you find healing. Um, And if it's you right now who is contemplating making that decision, can we let you know that there are places that you can go to be supported like sound choices so you don't have to have an abortion? And guess what? If somebody's forcing you, coercing you, you don't have to do that. You have other people right here who are going to care about you, come alongside you and help you. I think it's such a, it's a lonely, isolative place that so many people exist in in our world. And we have to break through that. Yeah. And it's, and it's a fine line to walk because you don't want to be, especially as as a Christian, you don't want to be seen as judgmental and like you're coming down and kind of pointing your finger at somebody, you shouldn't do that, or you should do that or whatever. But, you know, it's, it's tough because some people feel like that if you say, you know, you know, abortion's bad, you know, you shouldn't do this, you need to, it's these babies' lives that maybe as can be viewed as, as judgmental, perhaps. <laughs> and I, you know, my response to that would be, God knows your heart. Yeah. You know, I mean, yes, it is up to us to speak the truth in love and, and be kind and respectful with how we deliver that message. But I'm not going to allow anybody in this world, Jason, to, to try and tell me that I'm being judgmental by saying abortion is wrong uh, because I've seen how it's devastated my life and it devastated Bruce's life and it devastated our family. And I have to now run an organization that serves people who have been damaged by it. So um, yeah, I'd say take it worth a great assault sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good way to put it. And, and, and uh, we don't have a crystal ball but there's there's seems to be some movement in terms of legislatively. Uh, we see this new law in Texas. Uh, we see things kind of bubbling up in Florida. Um, South Dakota's had some things happen. So and then you've got some changes on the Supreme Court uh, with the you know, the numbers and how they are. So do you see uh, potentially really some real changes in terms of you know Roe v. Wade and this abortion law? You know, fifty years later. I do. And I think we need to not be afraid to say that that there's hope for that. Abortion has devastated our country. It really has. We have hundreds of millions of lives who have been forever impacted by that. And I think that's a lot of why we see the polarization that we do today um, and the feelings about it, because everybody has been impacted in some way, shape or form. And so people act out on it and talk out on it. And so I understand that. So things are heating up. And I think we're going to see a lot more of that battle and people taking one side or the other. I don't think we're going to see a lot of middle ground at this point. Um, But a lot of that comes from fear. Um, 
you know, we see a lot of that messaging of we don't want to go back. We don't want to go back to what? When states had their particular laws when it came to abortion, uh, we know that the numbers that were reported about women dying from uh, illegal or back alley abortions, we know that those numbers were inflated. Um, you know, Dr. Bernard Nathanson and other people who are responsible for that were have been honest about that for decades, that that is something that they inflated. I serve survivors who survived illegal back alley abortions. So, you know, what are we afraid of at this point? You know, I think we have to have that conversation with ourselves and with other people. Um, so, yeah, I think we're turning a corner and yeah, we don't know exactly what that looks like, but I would say we shouldn't be afraid of that. People are always afraid of change. Yeah. And uh, you were talking about Supreme Court earlier. So so what's next for Melissa Odin? Uh, what where will you go next? Uh, who who are you going to um who are you going to go face to face with next? Um, yeah, there's some things brewing. You'll you'll read about it. Um in every way. Um, uh, yeah, a lot of things I don't ever really get to talk about until you really see it happening. How about I shoot you an email when it happens? Um, The thing is with the Dobbs case going before the Supreme court, they'll start oral arguments on December 1st. And knowing that the Supreme court is taking up that case, it is changing some of the, the timelines that we're looking at for cases that like the eighth circuit Um, have been considering. So Missouri has something pending in the Eighth Circuit. Arkansas has something pending before the Eighth Circuit. And so you're going to see a lot of these cases kind of being put on hold until we see what happens with Dobbs. And then I think you should expect to see some rapid fire um, cases being, um, you know, talked about. And so we're definitely going to be a part of um, those conversations. You'll see me Um, over the next few months, uh, engaged in some education and some advocacy at the national level so that people can understand um, just what abortion really is, um, because we need to have an honest conversation about it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, um, Melissa, for your time. We appreciate it. And I'll let you get back to taking care of uh, uh, your daughter and your family and planning your your next trips. Uh, Now, I do usually at the close of my podcast, I close out in prayer. So I'd love for you to, to close out our conversation in prayer, if you don't mind. Absolutely. Father God, I just thank you for this opportunity to speak with Jason today. Um, Lord, these um, divine appointments you give each and every one of us, his listeners, Jason, myself, um, the people who are at Sound Choices, you know, uh, all of these are divine appointments, Lord. Thank you for giving us the opportunities to connect and to fellowship and to find these areas where our faith and, and fitness and all of these things um, interconnect, Lord. And we just pray, Lord, for our for Sound Choices and other pregnancy centers who are serving women just like my birth mother, Ruth. Um, may they continue to you know, be those hands and feet of Christ in a world that desperately needs them, Lord. And as they serve those women and the men, Lord, may children like me be spared from the pain of abortion. We pray, Lord, too, for uh, those today who have already been impacted by abortion You know, I pray that they see and hear that they are loved, that they are valued, 
there is healing and forgiveness to be found even after an abortion. And we pray, Lord, too, for anyone who is, you know, contemplating an abortion, or maybe we'll hear this later. Lord, may they know that they are not alone. You are there beside them. There are people in their community, whether it's their church, uh, their pregnancy center, somebody at their school. Lord, they are never alone in what they're going through. And abortion does not need to be the only option that they see before them. And so we pray, Lord, too, for a nation as we are, you know, contemplating legislatively and policy work. Lord, may you be glorified and honored in those decisions that are taking place, Lord. And we are just grateful for our time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And I'm going to take you up on that. So when you're done with your book, when your book comes out, when I see that, you know, when it's published, I'll reach back out to you and say, hey, listen, uh, you know, don't forget, you said you're going to start running, you know, so uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe a, a 5K or even maybe a marathon or something. Who knows, you know, uh, and you can your kids could join you or your husband, you know, so I'll start with the couch to 5K. There you go. That would be a good start. So, well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. And uh, and thanks for all that you're doing uh, for uh, this really important cause and not not backing down uh, when when people, you know, kind of uh, fight against you for it. Thank you. Good to talk to you, Jason. Thank you, Melissa. I really appreciate her uh, joining me on uh, on Zoom, and uh, I know she's busy uh, as a mom and a wife and traveling around the country uh, talking about uh, pro-life issues and abortion and, and really uh, challenging folks uh, at some of the, the highest levels. Uh, she had another quote uh, on, on, her, uh, on her page through the Abortion Survivors Network that she leads. It says, the humanity of the unborn child does not change no matter what the law is or how politics play out or how someone feels about them. So just, you know, kind of focused on the humanness, the humanity of that unborn child, uh, giving that, uh, that, that boy, that girl, a chance at life. So uh, congrats to her, and, and we applaud her for the hard work that she's doing. Um, she's passionate about this, and uh, abortion such a, a big issue, uh, has been for, for many decades, and it continues to be in the headlines today. And speaking of that, for our uh, final segments of this podcast, we got a little food for thought, uh, dealing with uh, one of the top leaders in America, um, and you know how faith and Catholicism uh, directs, uh, you know maybe how she feels about abortion, and also a, a verse, uh, kind of what about what the Bible says about abortion and life. going to start with a story uh, that's making headlines lately. Uh, it's about a uh, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, who just in the last few weeks was defending her support as a Catholic for a controversial bill that would legalize abortion, quote, without limitations. Uh, she says one of her reasons is that God has given us free will. So she made those comments one day before the House passed the Women's Health Protection Act, which would guarantee that abortion remains legal nationwide, even if the U.S. Supreme Court were to overturn Roe versus Wade. And the bill would overturn hundreds of state-level pro-life abortion restrictions as well. So it was had no support from a GOP representative. So, of course, uphill climb that, that it's not expected to go through at all. Um, but, um, you know, San Francisco Archbishop Salvatore Cordelione said the bill is, quote, nothing short of child sacrifice. But this is what, uh, you know, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said. She says, quote, I'm Catholic. 
I come from a pro-life family who is different in their view of a woman's right to choose than I am. Uh, so she is, uh, you know, comes from a big family, a Catholic family, and she has different views. It's a pro-life family. And so, you know, this can divide families as well. It's such a, you know, uh, an issue that, again, can be very, very polarizing. One thing that I, I believe is not polarizing, at least in my eyes, is the Bible, the Word. And, you know, it talks about um, things related to abortion and about life. Uh, you know, in Scripture, God really continues to affirm the value of every human life from from children in the womb all the way up to, you know, however old you get, right, in life. In Psalms 139, 13 through 16, this is our parting gift for today. Again, Psalm 139, we're going to go uh, verses 14 and 16. It says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So, uh, you know, God creating life and, uh, you know, only, you know, he, you know, has uh, the true power to, to end it or start it or whatever else. And, and we, you know, we have free will, but, uh, you know, God is, God is still in control. And so, uh, you know, however you fall on the issue of abortion, um, you know, I'm not trying to sway you one way or the other, but just, you know, it's something that, um, you know, what, what directs how you feel about it. Is it your faith? Is it your past? Is it something, uh, you know, political perhaps for you? So something just to, just to think about. Thank you so much again for, uh, you know, being here and uh, listening to Run the Race, whether you're driving or maybe out running or walking or uh, just um, doing chores around your house. I listen to podcasts sometimes when I'm doing that to get some uh, education and some entertainment. And uh, I'll, I'll speaking of uh, entertainment, I'm going to be heading out uh, in the next few days to California for the San Diego Rock and Roll Marathon. I believe it's my 16th state, if I count that right, in terms of my pursuit of doing a marathon in all 50 states. So um, on the next podcast, hopefully the next episode, it'll come out about a you know a week or two after this, uh, I will give you a race report on how things went out in uh, San Diego with uh, some hills out there and hopefully finishing that marathon strong and hopefully to have a, uh, a fellow uh, marathon runner who's done some extreme things um, in terms of pacing folks and doing hundreds and hundreds of these long races. Uh, so hopefully you hear that conversation with him as well as uh, how things went for me out in Cali. Have a good one, guys. <laughs>